Welcome to Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Beep, beep, I'm a sheep, I said beep, beep, I'm a sheep. I'm a Micah. And I'm a Matsy. This is Animation Celery, and it's a show where we usually give each other cartoons to watch and come back and recap them. And we kind of did that this time, though we got a special thing going on. You see, a while ago, Micah was convinced that Chippendale's Rescue Rangers was only good because of Gadget. Hmm. And we did a episode where we watched three random episodes of Rescue Rangers to see if that was true. And so we're doing the same thing again because Micah has a similar theory that Garfield and Friends is only good because of Gadget. The twist <laughs> yeah. being that Gadget Gadget isn't actually in it. So we got three random episodes of that to watch and uh, see if it's good because of Gadget. <laughs> um, but let's try to talk just a little bit first. Um, Micah, do you have anything to say? Okay, well, first, let's get out of the way. We have our sponsor. Um, so remember the original expert in general services, Mr. Beetleman. You've tried <laughs> the best. Now try the rest. Mr. Beetleman is expanding outside of Peaceful Pines and to a new pant size. He'll do anything. Short on cash, he'll take delicious bugs in lieu of living world money. And the puns, puns, puns are on the louse. Oh, <laughs> when you want to get a hold of Mr. Beetleman, just kind of opine out loud about what you need, and then he'll appear at your door. I don't know how he does it. There's one name to remember in general services. Beetleman. 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 Say the promo code and sell three times to get 20% off <laughs> and free shipping. Yes, indeed. Now, as for what I've been doing, uh, on your recommendation or at least astonishment uh -oh. i checked out oliver and company oh all right yeah that uh, 80s disney movie yeah for people who don't know it's uh, a story of dickens oliver twist but with a cat and a bunch of dogs in modern new york city mm. um i'd never seen it you know, they say that uh, movies aren't don't have enough promotion to them. And I'm always mystified yeah. because it seem I always seem to see their uh, commercials on television. Right. Right. It always felt like I would see this at least once every half hour, this commercial for uh, Oliver and Company. And it struck me in three ways that made me not want to see the movie. Yeah. Uh, one, the song seemed bad. Okay. Um, I hated, <laughs> I hated that Chihuahua. <laughs> so so far you've dissed Huey Lewis and Cheech Marin. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, actually, it wasn't Huey Lewis. It was the um, uh, who am I thinking of? Um, Billy Joel, who sings oh, that. Of, yeah, of course. Huey Lewis yeah. sings a song in it, but it's Billy Joel who sings that. Why should I worry? Thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's Cheech Marin who does that. If this is torture, chain me to the wall. <laughs> right, right. My third thing was that the movie seemed like it was probably for babies. <laughs> okay. So two out of three are true here. <laughs> it's actually pretty dark, this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. But, 
And uh, I started watching it. It took mere minutes for it to Frank Welker me. <laughs> He's following me, I tell you. The, uh, the, the hot dog guy, the hot dog stand guy was Frank Welker. Anyway, surprisingly, surprisingly not any of the dogs, but. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's a movie about the animals. And so they have to have incidental humans. Right. Well, that's the thing about, well, okay. First of all, I don't know the story of Oliver Twist. Yeah. So I reverse engineered it from watching this movie. <laughs> and it's pretty clear, actually. And this is going to be me uh, for, well, not two weeks in a row, but pretty close together. Remember I said that Scott Bakula didn't have enough charm to really sell mm. uh, the main character of Cats Don't Dance? Yeah. I don't think Billy Joel has enough charisma to be the artful Dodger. <laughs> I would kind of forget about him, actually, in the movie, because there are more interesting well, yeah. characters. I mean, 1988, if I remember correctly, and he's just he's just trying to be a cool guy. Yeah, not not cool enough. Um, well, he's so cool. That he's like this corporate cool guy like Poochie who ends up just kind of being bland. Right, right. I thought that Georgette, the uh, prize winning poodle, was the mm -hmm. best best dog in the movie. Absolutely. She was the best voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, the best Midler. character. Yeah. Yep. Um, she had a cool song. song. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, f nice design, too. Mm hmm. Um, but otherwise, I thought that Fagin, the uh, the ringleader of the. Uh, I guess they're not pickpockets exactly, but the dogs, the owner uh, of the dogs. Yeah. And uh, the. Crime boss who shakes them down, Sykes. I thought they were more interesting than most okay. of the dogs. And Sykes, because this movie is not talked about in general, but yeah. he's one of the more evil Disney villains. Kinda, yeah. Well, like on the phone, he talks about killing someone. Yeah. And later on, he shoots to kill with his uh, pistol. So, yeah. well, I mean, that might just be the product of this being one of the few Disney movies that's in a modern setting. I guess. I mean, when you think about it, uh, weren't the villains going to drown that girl in um, The Rescuers? <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. But I like his design, uh, Sykes. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure that this story works. Like hmm. when you say it's Oliver Twist, speaking as someone who hasn't read or even watched Oliver Twist as a movie form, except until now, it yeah. doesn't feel right to convert these guys into dogs and, and to a family movie, too. <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know who this movie's for, because they got to sanitize the crime a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, this was the Disney, this was kind of the the last gasp of the dark period of Disney. Like the next year they released The Little Mermaid and it was all uphill from there. Right. This was like this was like um The Fox and the Hound, which I actually really like. I think The Fox and the Hound is great. Yeah, Fox um, Hound's good. And and like The Black Cauldron, which kind of didn't do anything and The Great Mouse Detective, which I didn't remember existed until it came out on home video like it's good. Six years later. It's good, though. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's but, you know, they're just kind of playful animals doing things. I would movies, right? 
I would say that some movies at their inception should like, it should be obvious that they have the potential to be a, a movie people like, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. this isn't one of them. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, great mouse detective. Okay. It's Sherlock Holmes, but he's a mouse. It comes with enough stuff installed that, you know, you, you could like this movie, right? Yeah. But they kind of, I don't know what it is. Like, I like O'Malley, the Alley Cat, and Aristocats, but that's another movie that's <laughs> just like, why did they think that this could be a successful movie, right? Or, or um, yeah, I think One Hundred One Dalmatians is sort of that, but it's it's got more to it. It's got a villain that's cooler. I don't know. I mm-hmm. I, I guess when you're in conceiving these things, you know, the villains, to all these things are cool, and you know, the Rescuers is kind of I I forget stuff about that movie. Yeah, it's it's got but it's got two really good uh, voices for its principles. Sure. Yeah. So it's got things about it that at least can sell it. And this. Yeah. This I don't know. Right. Like, I mean, there was a time when Disney movies were just expected to be charming, not epics. You know, right. Like like the, the Little Mermaid kind of raised the bar so high that's like, oh, now we got to top it with Beauty and the Beast, and now we got to top that with Aladdin, and now we got to top that with The Lion King, and now we got to top that with Pocahontas, and oh, now we're losing it. You know, I think this uh, Oliver and Company actually has more ambition to its artwork than Little Mermaid and that series of movies. Hmm. Character designs tend to be a little simpler, you know? Yeah, they- it's. I like how cartoony, like, like I said, the word I think I used was plastic. Like, uh. especially when Georgette is doing her little musical number, how her body like kind of stretches out very much like cats don't dance. Like, yeah, they're just kind of flexible in a way that, you know, later Disney movies were a little rigid. Hmm. Yeah. High detail. You know what thing? A thing that uh, I expected a little uh, detective work that I followed up. I expected this to dovetail into Disney afternoon work. <laughs> because as you say, right, the studio kind of fell off, right? So I expect yeah. and I and I was like maybe I was conjuring these links when I looked and thought like, oh yeah, yeah, I can see the Disney afternoon in those designs and I can hear it in the musical flourishes. But actually I couldn't track very many people that worked on this movie to the Disney afternoon, except mm. strangely enough, for Quack Pack. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of them worked on Quack Pack and Oh, man. I don't know if I've watched. Man. I don't think I've watched five episodes of Quack Pack. I I couldn't tell you how many. Like, I know the premise of it. I know the characters of it. I don't know that I could tell you anything about it. But, yeah. I was thinking of, of watching some just mm-hmm. to see if the personalities of Huey, Dewey, and Louie in reboot DuckTales uh, somewhat match for Quack Pack. Hmm. I remember one of them being a jock, one of them being a nerd. Was one of them a hmm. cool guy? Oh, I don't. They're probably all cool guys. Wow. I have a feeling that Louie was kind of strong and dumb. Hey. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll file that into things I probably won't get around to. <laughs> Watching okay. Black Pack. Yeah, um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, what have you been doing, Matsy? Uh, filing things away that I probably won't watch. 
Oh, yeah. I don't know. I There's a there have been a bunch of things like here's the thing. Not a lot of stuff that I've actually watched, but a bunch of things that have popped up and made me go, oh, I should probably watch that. Um, most I think the the one that we discovered or that I discovered just before we started recording is that the second half of Masters of the Universe Revelation has come out. Mm. So I guess I should watch that. Um, there's another Netflix animated series called Dogs in Space that. Huh made me want to take a look it's about um for for some reason the earth is in trouble like i don't know if it's a wally situation where it's all dirty or if there's hmm. some impending disaster or what but the idea is that humans have sent a crew of super intelligent dogs on a quest to find a new planet to fetch a new planet for the human race to live on um, and so it is the adventures of the captain, <laughs> the corgi captain named <laughs> named Captain Garbage hey. uh, and various other uh, little dogs. Basically, you know, Star Trek, except they're all dogs. Right. So I'm curious enough to watch that. Um, mm. I need to watch more of Inside Job, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. You know, see if it see if it goes somewhere. Um, there's a bunch of things I need to let's make this. I, I know what I'll do. I will make my official list of things that I need to watch. All right. I need to watch the last half of DuckTales, the reboot. All right. Um, I think I stopped like halfway through season two. I need to watch. Probably prioritize um, He-Man for next week. Yeah. And there's that other He-Man, too. Which uh, one? Oh, <laughs> that one where they all have like uh, morphing armor on them. I think it's like CG. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. But like, I should probably look at that. I need to watch the last two seasons. No, the last one season of uh, The Owl House, mm. which, as we were discussing, has this second season is the last one. And then there's going to be much like the original DuckTales, a season that's just made of specials. So I should catch up on that. I need to catch up on Amphibia, Inside Job, Dogs in Space. Yeah, I got a bunch of stuff that I needed to watch. Well, I guess from my part, I've, I've been watching DuckTales too. Um, yeah. But, I, but I'm further behind. Uh, I guess well, my, maybe not by much. Maybe not. For, for, for next week, I'll have the Masters of the Universe. And uh, okay. I guess for the following week, maybe I'll catch up at least... Through season one of uh, Owl House. Hmm. <laughs> you know something I spotted? I was um, I was trying to, in preparation for this episode, I was trying to find a streaming service that had Garfield and Friends. Oh, yeah. But they all, but they all just have the Garfield show, which mm. is the CG version. And I've told you before, the current voice of Garfield is Frank Welker. Hmm. And <laughs> so I found <laughs> this. Yeah. So I found this special yeah. Um, that I guess is based on, you know, spun off from uh, the Garfield show. I think it's I think it's called Garfield Gets Real. And uh. I just kind of hovered over the thumbnail and it was, you know, like, you know, like Netflix does where it's like a little preview of one episode that and what shocked me but didn't shock me and just made me think of you and laugh is that almost every character that spoke was Frank Welker. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Garfield and and this is the thing that drives me nuts about this current Garfield show. Yeah. When Garfield talks his lips move. 
Oh. He's actually talking. I guess we'll get into that a bit in terms of the original, because... Uh, yeah. Okay, well, why don't, don't you tell me about the original? Let's set yeah. this up. Yeah, um, okay. Everybody should know who Garfield is, but I'll I'll lay some ground uh, groundwork this is, on this. This is the this is the definitive your one stop source for information about Garfield. No, you're overselling this. Okay, Garfield. <laughs> it's a comic strip by Jim Davis. It branched out across newspapers in the United States when it entered syndication in 1978. It centers around an orange tabby cat with black stripes. He is plump. Lazy, destructive, cynical, and foremost, a glutton. His owner is a dorky cartoonist named John, and also living with them is an energetic, stupid dog named Odie. The smart aleck comments Garfield makes are actually thought bubbles, making for curious exchanges where John actually speaks and his cat just thinks the snarky comment. Somehow this comedy works. The humor of Garfield the Cat relates to the reader by his dislike of Mondays and diets, you know, things you can relate to. Hmm. Um, John typically presents the relatability of a feckless human, particularly around his happy, haplessness when it comes to dating. Anyway, Davis went on to co-create another comic strip called U.S. Acres in 1986. Uh, those in Canada and the U.K. instead saw it titled Orson's Farm. It featured a kindly pig named Orson and several other critters on the farm. A couple of them were Roy, the selfish rooster, and Wade, the timid duck. Now, the wiki I looked at says that the comic was called Orson's Place in Canada, but I remember hmm. it as Orson's Farm. I don't really remember the comic much at all, except for once or twice seeing the book compilations in uh, the book section of the grocery store. Hmm. You know, it's funny. It only lasted three years. So hmm. it, it ended when the cartoon began. <laughs> and then the cartoon lasted for years longer. Anyway, so at this point, numerous animated Garfield sh uh, specials were shown over the years. And eventually this springboarded to a regular Saturday morning cartoon called Garfield and Friends. The show was divided into three parts episodes, if you will. Hmm. Garfield would open and close the show, and in the middle was an unrelated U.S. Acres cartoon. A typical episode would also feature one or two quickies, short segments adapted from the longer weekend funnies printed in the newspapers. So let's let's leap into here, this first, uh, first episode. Yeah, okay. This is season two, episode 15. Hmm. It cold opens. Normally it opens with the theme song, but this one cold opens with a quickie. Uh, it is J John berating Garfield for scratching his favorite record and eating the lasagna he prepared for dinner. And when Garfield goes moping away, John apologizes for yelling and makes up with the cat before noticing that his fern has been eaten. And when he ponders what happens to his fern, Garfield thinks, don't ask. There's our joke. Kind of realistic cat <laughs> relationship, though. I guess, yeah. 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 Um, okay, so then we get the first Garfield and Friends theme, which kind of alternates between sort of slow and loungy and all 
high speed, basically saying that how great friends are, except Garfield doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> but the U.S. Acres team does. Well, they both want to steal each other's spotlight. Yeah, yeah. So the cartoon proper, this is called Binky Goes Bad. And it starts in the courtroom with John and Garfield in the viewer viewing gallery as Binky, the world's most annoying and unfunny TV clown. And that's not me saying that. That's his actual character. But the truth as well. The truth as well. well yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. He's on trial for robbery and burglary. Binky the Clown, I he's mentioned in a couple of comic strips, but I think he might have been an invention of this cartoon. Uh. And he's a recurring character, like recurring enough that, you know, they could title an episode after him and you understand it. Mm hmm. So he's on trial for burglary and robbery and grand theft. And he can't stop making his terrible jokes as the trial gets underway. And Garfield, who has been eating increasingly elaborate foods, finally can't take anymore and he has to walk out. He wonders how this could have happened and decides to figure it out by grabbing the script for today's show. Garfield and Friends breaks the fourth wall often. Man, this does not work. <laughs> unless, um, unless, unless other parts are good, this does not work. Well, yeah, it's... Like, he grabs the script for today's show and goes back a few pages to the part of the script that I guess came first but didn't actually get shown. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so the beginning of the episode is the flashback that we get in the middle. Huh. I wonder if, if Carl Reiner, Carl Reiner was the first one to do this, right? Where in the movie they look at the script. Oh, maybe. I'm yeah. not sure. Anyway. I, it's, it, it happens... Things like this happen quite frequently in Spaceballs. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So here's the flashback. Um, Binky, it seems, had a rival, a man named Stinky Davis, which is funny when you consider that Jim Davis created Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stinky Davis is a former clown who was thrown out of the union for making naughty balloon animals, which is kind of a ribald joke to make in this cartoon. Yeah. Maybe they're just taking poops or poops or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, that wouldn't be an animal. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he hates Binky. So Stinky disguised himself as Binky, which causes Garfield to stop his narration and lament that his show has stooped to an evil twin story. Hmm. So disguised as Binky, Stinky went on a crime spree, robbing banks and the Schultz jewelry store, which I liked to think was a reference to Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts. Probably. But I th I think Bill Schultz is actually a producer on this. It seems uh. like every time you see a name in a cartoon, it's a producer. Hmm. Anyway, he went on this crime spree and eventually enlisted a whole gang. And the police, who have a vaguely southern accent instead of an Irish one, track down the real Binky. But Binky foolishly ran like O.J. Simpson, who was, of course, innocent. He blew up a balloon to float through the skylight, which does not work because air from your lungs is not lighter than the air in the air. He's full of hot air. <sighs> Mike. Hey, I, I, it's like I'm part of the show now. I was going to say, you, you could have written this. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, so Binky holed up in a bakery, which was well stocked with throwing pies that he uses to keep the police at bay. <laughs> the baked goods SWAT team is called in, and eventually they managed to trick they managed to trick Binky into coming out by playing the theme to his TV show and giving him to, a spotlight to step into and a drum roll. And so now the timing of the episode and the script align again as we get back to the final act here. Garfield miraculously finds Stinky the Clown hiding in plain sight in a circus parade that happens to be passing the courtroom. Bad choice. Bad choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I was Stinky Davis, I would have just taken off the clown makeup. Right. Um, Garfield poses as a parade leader and leads the parade into the ill-defended courtroom. Everyone is amazed to see two binkies and they immediately figured out what happened. But they can't tell which Binky is real until Garfield gets the judge to read a benign courtroom statement order in the court, which prompts one of the Binkies to order a sandwich. Obviously, that's the real Binky. So Stinky is apprehended and Binky is so happy that he promises to visit Garfield every day and bring him surprises like a pie in a box. And Garfield mm. sees us out by musing that maybe he made a mistake. All right, right, right. First off, this is the Simpsons episode Krusty gets busted years yep. earlier. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Not that many years, though. It's just, no. This is 1988, and I think that episode might have aired in 89. Or, no, it would have been 90 because the Christmas 89 was the first episode of The mm. Simpsons. So, All yeah, right. a couple of years. So this is an apt episode to start with for why yeah. I hate Garfield and Friends. <laughs> By shoving Binky down your throat immediately. Yes, he is reason, reason numero uno for why I hate Garfield and Friends. <laughs> and as we alluded to, you're supposed to hate him, but I really hate him. I hate <laughs> his voice, his hey cat, his his look, and I hate his music. And boy, oh boy, this like everything in here. The uh, uh, the the pie. Well, okay, so he, he's making those jokes about like ordering in the court and all that. Yeah, that's like the Three Stooges, isn't it? Oh, who knows at this and, point? And, I mean, that, and then all that pie throwing, that's the Marx Brothers. I mean, mm, how much well, more? Hmm? I mean, it? You're throwing. Well, it could be, but yeah. like, throwing pies is just like it's it's almost like, you know, a song that's become public domain. Right. It's like it's just something that clowns do now. Right. So I'm just saying this is hackneyed beyond trite. Mm, the, mm. And. Not really even funny, the way the pies impact. There's so much pie throwing in this this episode. And it's just like the second <laughs> the second Garfield opening promises, pies is all sizes. They're terrible. Yeah. Just boring. And even like he steals the Klopman diamond. That's a running <laughs> gag in the show. Whenever mm. there's a MacGuffin, it's the Klopman diamond. Ah. Uh. And it's just like an emblem for my hatred, you know, like, oh, <laughs> dang it. Now I know what now I know what to get you for Christmas. The Clawman Diamond. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eleven year old me just like was repelled by how bad this comedy writing was. <laughs> uh, for me, the lasting the lasting influence that Binky the Clown had. There's an R.E.M. song called Binky the Doormat. OK. And the only reason that I knew that it was presenting the um, protagonist of that song as a clown is because of Binky the Clown. Because mm. I mean, hey. you wouldn't know. Well, there is one part in the song where it says, um, 
I will be your little clown. Okay. Um, but other than that, like it never, the song never mentions the word binky at all. Um, a binky in general terms is like a, a pacifier or soother as I understand right. it. So, and it also, it, um, it gives you a tears up and plus one soul heart in the binding of Isaac. Hmm. I think it, it must have some goof name. I remember, uh, a, a guy I role played with named his ranger Binky. Hmm. And then when he died, his brother Binky the second showed up. But. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Binky. Man. You know, those comics, uh, the, it's, it's, it's almost like a weird boutique industry now to, uh, make edited Garfield comics. Oh yeah. So the, one of the more common ones is to make comics where Garfield has no thought balloon. It's just yeah. John and Garfield in silence for a panel after John says something, which makes yes. John look crazy. Yeah. Just imagine this show with Garfield <laughs> saying nothing after Binky says things. <laughs> Binky <laughs> must look like a lunatic, right? <laughs> well, it, it's the appropriate reaction. Like, right. You know, it's it's like G Binky says his like, I'll have a ham on rye, hold the mayo. And Garfield just goes. Yes. And that's the appropriate reaction to that joke. Right. It's something we're going to have to reconcile. You mentioned that in the new show, Garfield's lips move. Yeah. It's always weird when you think about it too much for the Garfield comic that he only thinks the things and John says the things, but there's mm -hmm. a rhythm to it. And often John's facial expression changes, you know, yeah. to the to the uh, mood set by whatever Garfield says. Yeah, he'll often look at the audience. Right. Um, and then it gets weird when there's two animals thinking at each other. Mm -hmm. I, I almost think that they should be moving their mouths when they do that in Garfield. I, uh, there, there's an example of that later yeah. in this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. We got Orson's farm. Yeah. We. Oh, by the way, uh, in... The Orson segments, they do move their mouths and talk. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think I ever noticed that until I was watching it here. Yeah. It's like, hey. So should, should I call it Orson's Farm or USA? I think U.S. Acres in deference to our well, United States overlords. Well, in the I don't know about what the, whatever version of this that you found on the Internet, but the version I found actually had it listed as Orson's Farm. Yeah, me too, actually. This is another okay. weird, this is another weird thing. Cause I, when we watched it on television, I guess we watched it on CBS or something. And it said U.S. Acres. Anyway, U.S. Right. Acres, Orson's farm, that, that thing with the farm animals quickie. Yeah. Um, so Roy, the rooster throws a snowball each at the two chicks, Sheldon and Booker. And so he hits each of them. And then in his revelry, he slaps the side of the barn and that causes the snow from the roof to bury him like karmic revenge. Hmm. So, yeah, there you go. That's your joke. Then we get to the, uh, yes, we get to the cartoon Barn of Fear. So at the beginning, the farm animals fill the barn with crops. But as a result, there will be nowhere to sleep that night. I guess it was a bumper crop. Hmm. And the forecast calls for rain. Orson the pig suggests that they stay in the old barn, but Wade, the cowardly duck, insists that the old barn is haunted. 
Wade tells the story of the old pioneers represented by all of the main characters of the show, building an old barn to keep their crops from being stolen by thieves, also represented, in this case, by Orson's villainous older brothers. Uh, coincidentally, his actual older brothers have taken shelter in the old barn, and when they see Orson and his friends approaching, they plan to scare them, and tomorrow, to steal their crops. One of these brothers is, of course, a Frank Welker. <laughs> Heck, the two chicks are out Frank Welker. Well, at least one of them is a Frank Welker. Anyway, while Orson sleeps soundly because he disbelieves in ghosts, Roy, Wade, Booker, and Sheldon quake and worry. They prove susceptible to the larger pig's scary moans and white sheet ghost costumes. <laughs> With holes cut out for their nostrils. Yes, that's perfect, I think. Um, <laughs> Booker and Sheldon wake Orson, and he instantly sees through the flimsy disguises. While not ghosts, they're still large, strong hogs, so they catch and tie up the good guys. Their plans to then steal the crops are halted when unseen forces bombard the baddies with a saddle, a bucket, a crate, and a pail of slop. Terrified, they run for the hills. The invisible force unties the group, but skeptical Orson still insists that maybe it was just an earthquake. Then, after they're gone, apparitions appear, and it is just as they appeared in the flashback with the great-great-grandfathers of uh, Orson, Roy, and Wade. Now, I have a point of disappointment here. Okay. I had hoped. there There is a song... Garfield and Friends occasionally has songs in it. Yeah. Um, I, do we have any? No. I That's noticed weird. that. Because, yeah. like, I thought that every episode had a song in it. And every episode here doesn't. There's one. Wade, Wade is afraid of everything, even imaginary things. Yeah. And there's a song that sticks in my mind of Orson telling him, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. And he replies, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. I was kind of hoping this would be the episode. Alas, no. Well, I mean, trying to find an episode where Wade is afraid of something, you're, you know. Oh, you well, got a you got a wide target to shoot at. That were three for three, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You have a, a an affection, let's say, for pig characters. Okay. Where does Orson rank? in your ranking of pig characters. I like them. I think so far I've not liked the, the pigs we've seen on the show, right? On, <laughs> on Mission Celery. But um, I like Orson. Uh, I like his design. I like his plush ears. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, basically everything. I never liked how detailed his nostrils are. Oh. Of like how they have depth to them. It's kind of like, have you ever noticed how Jim Davis draws a fork? Like, he draws right. a fork with, like, gigantic tines that are, like, so thick that you can see the depth of them. Like, they look like a, like, like a, like a fork beach toy. That's just the way of Garfield. Like, coins have that same thickness, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Orson's nostrils have that, where they're just so deep. Or they, they're, like, they're pink, and then they have this pink depth to them, and then they turn black. It's weird. Right. Right. Well, they got a rim. I don't know. 
Yeah. I, I like him overall. There's there's really nothing okay. I don't like about him. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would say that I kind of, at least in cartoon form, like Orson's farm better than uh, than the Garfield parts. But there are definitely parts that are cool. Like, um, I. I never really, you know, maybe I noticed it when I was a kid or maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, but I like the way that Wade speaks, like yeah. the way that he pronounces everything. He pronounces everything so importantly, like right. he, he enunciates all the syllables of his words very right. clearly. Um, for some reason, I like that. I don't know what it is. It always appealed to me about him that he has... Um, an inner tube around his waist because yeah. he can't, he's afraid of swimming. Um, yeah. But the inner tube has a replica of his face, a tiny duck head at the front of it. Yeah. And it tends to echo his facial expressions. Yes. Um, that's a phenomenon that is echoed in animal crossing. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the kangaroo characters, the majority of them are female kangaroos mm. and they all have a baby kangaroo in a pouch. And hmm. the baby kangaroo will do the same thing where it'll animal crossing characters like express themselves. They have little reactions where they'll like nod or they'll go like look surprised and like a ding dong will appear over their head or something. Hmm. And whenever a kangaroo is doing that, the little baby kangaroo will do the same thing, just like Wade's inner tube. Huh. Although it's an actual living thing. And oh, yeah. Maybe his inner tube is too. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a neat little gag. It's a neat little gag. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, why don't you take us up to uh, the the third episode, the third third episode of this? Yeah. So first of all, before before that, though, uh, there's another Garfield quickie sort of uh, this is this actually is in the same segment as the Orson's farm because it ends with Garfield pitching to the commercial. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's a recurring segment called Screaming with Binky. Yeah, just to make sure, just to make sure that you have all you can stand. Mm hmm. Um, this is a recurring segment where things are happening. And uh, Binky, his catchphrase is to go, hey, kids, or whoever he is talking to. Sure. Cat in Garfield's case. Right. So here we're in an operating room and a famous brain surgeon needs complete silence as he executes his procedure. And then Binky shows up and yells, hey, doc, which causes chaos in the operating room and had me really worried about the patient. <laughs> but then right. he is running after Binky in a towel later. So I guess he's OK. I guess it wasn't that serious brain surgery. Gosh, you just made you just made me flash to a better cartoon <laughs> <laughs> last week with the Roger Rabbits. I was thinking, like, don't those doctors take a break for lunch. It's like, no, that's the, that's the Roger Rabbit one. <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this next cartoon is a Garfield cartoon and it's called mini mall matters. Hmm. So Garfield claims that they want to be educational sometimes, but not too educational. So he's presenting a documentary on mini malls. And he then asks the question I was asking, what is a mini mall? Hmm. The answer is that it's a bunch of stores you'd never go to, except they're all together, so it's convenient. Um, based on the depiction of this, I guess it's like kind of what I would consider a strip mall. You know, well, like a bunch of stores that are outdoors and all together. 
You know, it's funny is when I saw this episode as a kid, it informed me about what a mini mall was as well. Hmm. Except we live like not in Vancouver, but in surrounding towns. Yeah. And these towns are practically made out of them. Kind right? of. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can name what, maybe five proper malls. Sure. But you're kitty cornered to a, a mini mall. It's got I'm, like I've, a lot of mini malls. Yeah. I've got mini malls all over the place. I've got yeah, mini exactly. malls on all four corners of where I live. Yeah. I, me too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they're mocking these strip malls. So we start with details on how mini malls are able to spring up so fast. They're grown, not built. A worker plants a seed. Irrigation is applied by Odie in this case. And a brand new mall appears in no time. Garfield begins showing the various stores that make up a mini mall, but he's accosted by Odie, who worriedly wants to show him something. But Garfield is busy and continues his lecture. He continues listing stores that all mini malls have. He 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 calls a Chinese restaurant a store that sells Chinese food. Mm. And there's there's I, I had to laugh at like the number of obsolete places that were here. Like, oh, oh a store yes. where you can rent videotapes. The joke here is that a one-hour photo place is his favorite because it's for people who can't remember what their friends looked like 60 minutes ago. Hmm. So I'm going to the extra effort of recapping that joke so you know what kind of humor we're dealing with here. Yeah. Um, he further jokes that mini malls have lots of stores and employees. The specific number of stores he says is 17, but then he shows 15. That just... Uh, I'm just stickler that way. Mm. Lots of stores and lots of employees and four parking spaces. Hmm. He he tells us that mini malls are legally obligated to have a frozen yogurt as or and or croissant shop. <laughs> croissants. No. Yeah. Croissants. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a place that specifically sells croissants. I've seen bakeries, of course, but not croissants. And one of the many mini malls in my area just recently had its frozen yogurt place closed down. A different era. In, yeah. In that era, a croissant was something new and fun. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, Odie tries to get Garfield's attention then, but Garfield is still busy. And now we get the gag where he has to take a number at the frozen yogurt place, and it's really high, and they're now serving three... And so Garfield sleeps long enough for his turn, and he reminds you to be as polite to the employees as they are to you, followed by him being outraged that they don't have lasagna-flavored frozen yogurt. Pretty picky for Garfield. Y yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think I was thinking about that as he's listing off all the flavors, and I'm like, where's the joke going to be here? Because... Mm. Garfield would just eat all of that. And, they, and he even gives him a free sample. And I'm like, there's nothing there's nothing for Garfield to joke about here. This should make him happy. But he found something. Mm. Anyway, now Odie is really panicked and Garfield finally agrees to go see what the problem is. It turns out that the irrigation is stuck on and the mini mall floats away down the river. Garfield and Odie hop into a canoe to catch it. But it's too late. The mall is lost at sea. But they can always grow another one. Anyway, it turns out that a Captain Caveman-looking castaway has been watching this show on his desert island, and he's amazed by the concept of a mini-mall, 
and even more amazed when the runaway miniball lands on his island. He hasn't eaten in months, and he runs into the frozen yogurt place where he has to take a number in oh a redux God. of the same joke from earlier. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, should we just move on to the next episode? Because there's not much to talk about here. <laughs> I just have two things. Okay. This is an Animaniacs episode, pretty much. Yes. Yes. Um, it very much is. And then that Harry Castaway cheated on that cliche of being asked what one book you would take to a desert island. He took a working TV. Yeah. Anyway. He gets reception. um, Before going on to this next episode, I got to give this a rating. Oh, yes. Yeah, we got it. Yeah. What's the... Yeah, tell me. What's the rating situation for this? Nebulous. (laughs) (laughs) I am... Personally, I am rating this episode four Mondays out of five. Okay. That is to say... Out of potential of hating this to five degrees of Monday, <laughs> right. I only hate it, hate it to four. Because of the Orson's farm part? I guess. Like, it's kind of like when a doctor asks you how much pain you're feeling on a scale of one to ten. Oh, I, always yeah. rate, I always rate it too low. I know people rate it too high, but I like reserve ten for burning to death or yeah, yeah. watching your life's blood ebb, you know? <laughs> So there could be an episode worse than two binky segments. Oh, one yeah, of which has two binkies in it. Or or one binky and one buddy bears. Anyway, <laughs> what, what, what do you think? Oh, boy. Um, I, I guess I don't hate it as much as you do. Um, hmm. I don't I, I feel like going less than three would imply that I liked it. So right. I guess I have to say three. Like I told, I wasn't. Well, no, compl- no. W- w- one would indicate that you still disliked it a little bit. Okay. <laughs> you know? Okay. Mm, I'll say like, no, I think I'll still say three. Okay. Like, I feel like I, it's kind of middle of the road. Like it's just so bland. Right. Like there's, there are no, there are no good gags in this. Thing. <laughs> all right <laughs> but there's also nothing egregious i mean except for binky but right. like well i don't know like some of the maybe it is a four because i'm just thinking about the quote-unquote jokes in minimal matters and it's like right maybe i don't know yeah maybe well no well, you'll i'm get, still you'll get, I'm, yeah. I'm still gonna give it a three because my 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 deep impression of this is just bland mm-hmm so there. All right. The stalkers can stop changing their spreadsheets. Okay. <laughs> so let's look at this next episode. Yeah. Uh, it's episode eight of season four. Hmm. And it starts with a Garfield uh, cartoon called Speed Trap. Oh, sorry. No, it starts with the new god awful opening. Oh, boy. This friggin conga beat thing oh yeah the first one has some charm you know like yeah. this, this crooning friends are there to help me get started like it's kind of funny and they're they're yeah trying to steal the spotlight from each other uh mm-hmm. in subsequent seasons yeah they have this uh this latin rhythm kind of thing going on uh, yeah. with garfield and friends and it's just a compilation of clips some of them are actually are kind of funny clips but at any rate it's an obnoxious song just terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I even as a kid, I never liked the second Garfield theme. Mm-hmm. So we get the uh, uh, speed trap is the episode. 
It starts with John and his pets driving along the country road uh, onward for their two-week vacation. A policeman pulls John over for speeding, even though he was only going 25 miles an hour. But the cop shows John the minuscule, unreadable sign that notes an absurd eight miles an hour speed limit. Offended by the situation, John insists that he's not going to pay the ticket, and so the patrolman leads him to the local courthouse. Garfield, savvy to the ways of humans, communicates to John that he should just pay the ticket, but the human refuses out of principle. Unfortunately for him, the policeman, P. Dempsey Weevil, is also the judge and the prosecuting attorney. He hurries to each position and takes a quick change of clothes. Unfortunately for John, his defense attorney is also Weevil. Um, does it seem weird to you that our second episode in our review has a courtroom scene as well? I didn't really think about it until just now, but yeah. Kind of funky. Funny how those things work out. So... After John loses the case and is assigned a $100 penalty, Garfield insists that they all get in the car and drive away. The chase, Weevil chases them, the chase skims the roof off of the car when it passes under a truck trailer. Then a bump off a rock ejects John and he's arrested despite his cat and dog uh, being in a runaway car. I like this, that Odie's reading the automotive manual while Garfield does his best at the wheel. Yeah. Eventually, they figure out to pull the emergency brake. And another two patrolmen, real ones, catch up. When they are shown the speeding ticket, they realize it's the work of Weevil, the phony who acts as a cop. So they catch up to Weevil. Weevil's arrested and John is freed. But with the roof missing from his car, he's in for a miserable drive in the rain. Garfield, the clever cat, got an umbrella as his reward. So, Weevil can't be in the scheme for the money, right? I don't he know went, what his deal is. <laughs> yeah, he went through all of that to grift $100 from an out-of-towner. He just wants to feel like a big man, I guess. <laughs> yes. And he's got an abandoned courthouse, or at least one that was empty for the day. <laughs> and a jail. <laughs> yes, and a jail. <laughs> oh, man, he can be arrested for a lot of things. And John's probably got a civil suit against him. Yeah. Um, it's weird. But you know, I actually kind of like this one. This might be the best cartoon of the nine that we watched. I don't know if I go there, but I... in. More than anything else, I enjoyed Garfield and Odie trying to uh, stop the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I like how they get around, like, Garfield's inability to communicate, where he'll, mm. he just says what he thinks John is going to do because he knows John so well. Right. He's like, he's going to say it's the principle of the thing. It's not the money. It's the principle of the thing. So you told you. Like, they, like, it's, a, it's you know, it's a clever... I don't know, clever, but it's a it's a serviceable way of getting around the inability of Garfield and John to have conversations. Right. And I think we're going to find this in other good Garfield cartoons that we're going to talk about hmm. that um, they let Garfield 
do things in the cartoon, you know, and and John and Odie. Whereas, like, we're talking about the the Binky gets. Oh, I'm gonna mixing up the title. Uh, I was gonna say Binky gets busted. Um, <laughs> that they're just kind of spectators, yeah. and that the guest characters are too wacky and weird for Garfield to have any meaning to the plot, you know? Right. Anyway. So, yes. Oh, and also, he didn't need to be a fake cop. I understand this is something that cops tend to do because they have quotas to meet. Hmm. That they'll just pick on someone who's who's from out of town because he won't hang around to contest the ticket. Well. Uh, at any rate. I think this was an era where, you know, Americans in particular were being taught to be very proud of all government law-keeping military officials, right? Hmm. You know, patriotism was at an all-time high as the Cold War was winding down. I guess so. So if there's a bad cop, it has to be a fake cop. That's right. There's, there's bad apples or bad weevils. Hmm. Bad weevils in the apples. Yeah. All right, so... That's followed up by a little quickie. Uh, Garfield finds a hole in the ground and takes the opportunity to cover it so he can lure Odie with a bone into the pitfall. The dog springs through, takes the bone, and doesn't fall. When Garfield uncovers the pit, he realizes that it's a rubber hole. It's a fake. Odie appears and chuckles, apparently the architect of the cat's failure. Oh, man. Rubber hole. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> isn't it strange how the gags pulled directly from the comic strip are no good? Yeah. Funny that. Uh, anyway. Um, okay. I guess I'll do the Orson's farm thing here. Yeah. Uh, this one is called Flights of Fantasy. And to start with, so there's a recurring character in the Orson farm things of a weasel who, like all weasels in cartoons, wants to steal chickens. Mm. You know, you've, you've seen Foghorn Leghorn harass thus such characters. This one's less spastic and more uh, slimy. Right. So, yeah, so this weasel is on the farm, and he's heading over to steal chickens. But he has to hide in a haystack when Roy walks by, apparently on his way to woo a hen. Yeah, but, he's singing about getting lucky. Yeah. But then Roy is stopped by Wade, and Wade is going to deal with his fears by making an alphabetized list of everything he's afraid of, which is gigantic. Hmm. And he starts reading it to uh, Roy. But as he's reading it, the scene shifts to underwater. Wade realizes that he isn't afraid of the bottom of the ocean, so he adds it to his list and then panics. It's kind of funny. He Roy stops him. As mm. the thing that Wade is afraid of when Roy stops him is abrupt revelations. Hey. And then that's when Roy stops him to tell him that they're underwater. But I thought that was kind of cute. That was a, that, is. that was a that might be the cleverest gag of the series. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, so they're underwater for some reason. But Roy thinks he knows what's going on. He takes Wade with him and tracks down Orson, who is reading Journey to the Bottom of the Sea. Weird. Roy points out how Orson's imagination runs wild every time he gets caught up in a book. But Orson can't help it. He just has a good imagination. Roy decides to go along with it. 
And when Orson imagines the barn is a castle, Roy imagines himself as the prince, going to wake up Sleeping Beauty with a kiss. <laughs> I was amused by him. Like, I get the joke they were going for, where he's like kind of talking old timey, like, forsooth, I here to give the kiss of whatever. Yeah. And then he says, here it comes, sis. Pat. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call someone sis as I was about to kiss them. Yeah, a little weird. <laughs> Well, it's a farm. He's the only rooster, I guess. Well, okay, uh, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you you raise an excellent <laughs> point. But but actually, it turns out that the princess is the fat, ugly sheepdog in real life. It's the, what was her name? Lena Hyena? Oh, yeah. I didn't even know this was a sheepdog. Did you look at the plot and figure that out? <laughs> I just assumed, like, I, I double-checked because yeah. I typed it out in my little recap. And then I and I went, well, let me take another look. And then, like, I Yes, some kind yeah. of dog. Anyway, mm. anyway, this goes on for the rest of the cartoon. Now this sheepdog thinks that Roy's in love with her and she chases him. But mm. that's not the important part. The important part is that Wade is trying to understand that everything that's happening that's weird is make-believe as the weasel finally resumes his quest for chickens. But unfortunately, Wade just doesn't think he has it in him to imagine anything. When Orson gets frustrated and leaves, Wade decides to try again. He sees the weasel go past with a sack of chickens, and Wade thinks that he's just imagining it. And since it's not real, he bravely jumps in to stop the weasel from escaping. He chases the weasel past Orson and Roy, who come to help him and let him know that it's not an imaginary weasel. And now the tables are turned, and the weasel chases Wade. Orson, apparently Orson has no tricks except imagination in this episode because he he's he's stuck. He can't concentrate. He can't imagine anything to help. So what what can right. he do? Uh, he's coming up blank. But then Roy gives him an old train schedule, which causes Orson to imagine a train to chase the weasel away. And then everything ends happily ever after, except that Roy still has to escape the sheepdog, which he does by running after the train. Hmm. Meh. I, f I forgot that Orson had this superpower. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know how there's like a uh, uh, popular culture fanatics now that love uh, Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell and his <laughs> ability to stop time and change things. <laughs> this is like bearing the lead on Orson. Yeah, he's on a farm, but he also can imagine anything to, ex to existence. Pretty mm -hmm. crazy. I sort of wondered briefly, like, if they're in this world where everything's imagining or being imagined, like, how do they know that that's the weasel? Like, right. Because Roy says, like, did you imagine Wade chasing a weasel? And Orson's like, no, I thought you did. And like, no. And so then they go after him. And then Wade's like, I just imagined this weasel. And they're like, no, you didn't. <laughs> how, how do you know that? Oh, God. Oh, God. I was also like this, this, you said, man, the episode, it's expanded my mind, man. Like huh. he said earlier that there's no such thing as ghosts unless he imagines them, unless he reads a <laughs> book about ghosts, right? <laughs> oh man. He watched the novelization of Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, watches, boy. oh, friggin' there, uh, there's got to be an episode somewhere that's like a, a redo of, um, uh, a Christmas Carol where like. All the other, uh, you know, like, I don't know, Roy is cynical about 
Christmas or something and you know there's ghosts represented by the other animals that are coming to teach him or I don't sure and Sheldon has a crutch uh, glued to his <laughs> eggshell or something <laughs> exactly exactly man oh. uh, all right uh, boy we're running along let's get the castaway cat okay yeah castaway um, cat so stuff from his supper Garfield sits down to watch television all he gets is static, and John explains that the cable television is out. John hands Garfield a book, Robinson Crusoe, with the expectation that his pet cat read instead of watching television. Well, John uh, calls the cable company, and we get jokes about the non-specificity uh, for when a technician will arrive. <laughs> Garfield curls up in his cat bed and begins to read. The cat's imagination inserts himself into the story of a shipwreck. His imagination, apparently, isn't as supernatural as Orson's. I was thinking exactly his, the same yeah, thing. Because Odie watches him haggardly crawling across the carpet. And, you know, Garfield just looks insane. Um, now, Garfield, he inserts the dog into his story as his dog Monday. <laughs> um, a, a play on his girl Friday from... Anyway, uh, while John answers the door to the cable man, Garfield and Odie approach the unattended spaghetti in the kitchen. In the fantasy, it's a plant called Pastafazulus marinaris. After eating, Garfield's adventure leads him uh, to taking the cable man perched up on the electric pole as a hostile native. The cat sets a snare that flips the repairman and results in a broken TV set. And, of course, no repairs to the cable being made. In the end, John, Odie, and Garfield sit together in the armchair with a bowl of popcorn, and they watch the washing machine window instead of TV. Aside from their TV being wrecked, John really lives the ideal life, doesn't he? <laughs> he is a cartoonist who works from home where he has a cat and a dog. Fantastic. Yeah, and the dog demands that he eat, he make pasta all the time. Oh, the cat That's, does. Oh, did I say dog? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, he has a cat that demands that he makes pasta all the time. It's more reasonable. Like I can't imagine a cat eating an entire lasagna out of a out of a, no. <laughs> a pan. Well, no. No. <laughs> Just imagine those cats with their useless fangs uh yeah. kind of working at one noodle. <laughs> 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 no, no, I would I would live happily with a cat and a dog working from home and eating pasta all the time. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, there's even a badge of honor to what a dork he is. <laughs> I like seeing him in his bad suits. Anyway. Do you know what really pasta fajoule is? What is it? It's a soup. I <laughs> I actually ah. had this. I was in the States and I went to an, uh, an olive garden with some folks. Ooh. And I saw... This were like I was telling the, you know, it was one of the choices for a starter for the meal that I ordered and I saw it written there, but it's not spelled the way you think it would be. Yeah. And so I was like, I'll have the, uh, cause I was just looking at what it was and thought, oh, that sounds good. I'll have that. And I'm like, uh, I'll have the, uh, pasta fagiolio. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, it's pronounced fajoule. I was like, oh, that's what pasta fajoule is. Okay. And it was pretty good. I can tell you I didn't write it out, Fagiolio. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? That completes the second episode of Garfield. 
Okay. For us, anyway. Yeah. I'm going to give it a rating. Okay. A, a rating one out of five, w- one to five on how offensive I found it. Yes. I only found it to be one raisin on my toast out of five. Hmm. 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 Not that bad. Yeah, I'm, I would agree. Um, I didn't particularly like the last two segments very much but i also Mm. didn't hate them i i'll give it a two just because i didn't like them as much but at the same time like could be way more offensive like this is this might be the best (laughs) episode i i think the show gets better the simpler it is all right uh so i guess that means we get to move on to the next bit, which is season seven, episode 11. This is very close to the end of the series. Hmm. Uh, we get a new intro, which is the same song. It's the same stupid, you know, Latin rhythms. Yeah. Thing. Fiesta, fiesta. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least when he says romance and there's actually a girl cat there and not like. Odie or whatever, like there was no, no one to romance Garfield's comic strip girlfriend Arlene is never in uh, uh, Garfield and Friends. And I think it's in this last season that they finally added a girl cat named Penelope. But she's not in this. You know why his original uh, paramour isn't in the show? Why? It's because Jim Davis felt that they weren't going to represent her faithfully. Which is weird for such a sellout, right? (laughs) 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 Okay. So, yeah. Now, here's our first episode. It's called Thoroughly Mixed Up Mouse. Now, there's a recurring character of a mouse named Floyd. He is in the comic strip and in the cartoon. And this is his Mm. first appearance in this episode of Animation Celery. Floyd the (laughs) mouse is walking with his friend Irwin. And Irwin can't shut up about how great cats are. Now, Irwin is voiced by Arnold Stang. And you Mm, might not know that name, but you definitely know that voice. Yeah. Arnold Stang was the Honey Nut Cheerios B. Okay. So Floyd stops into a house to scrounge for something to eat, complaining to himself about how Irwin just loves cats so darn much. But Floyd gets chased away by that house's cat. He crosses paths with Garfield, who's been being chased by a bulldog, and both are saved when the cat and the dog crash into each other. Garfield takes Floyd and Irwin home with him, where Irwin finally explains to Floyd that he's obsessed with cats because he wants to be one. This scene is taken directly from Monty Python's Life of Brian, including Irwin saying that every mouse should have the right to be a cat. Isn't there some kind of line about that? Genius is steel or something like that? (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. Amateurs imitate geniuses steal. I think that's the way it goes. Anyway. Anyway, Floyd tries to explain the situation to Garfield. Garfield humors Irwin, deciding that he can do the important things that uh, that cats do, which is eat and sleep. And so Irwin can be an honorary cat. Floyd is skeptical, but Garfield thinks it's okay. Cats don't do anything. Irwin tries Garfield's cat food, which might be the grossest substance I've ever seen in a cartoon. <laughs> it's green with like these gray hoses coming out of it, like like an aardvark's nose or something. It's revolting. Maybe it's calamari. Yeah. Well. Um, 
And then Odie shows up, and since Irwin knows that dogs chase cats, he flees. But then he also remembers that cats chase mice. And while Floyd tries to snap him out of it, Irwin chases Floyd out of the house. Floyd comes across a gang of sleeping cats and goes into hiding, but Irwin wakes up his fellow cats to help him find the mouse. And of course, the cats attack and beat him up. Floyd runs back to get Garfield to fix the situation, and the beat-up Irwin meets with Floyd and Garfield again, where Garfield promises not to discourage Irwin's dream of being a cat, as long as Irwin doesn't discourage Garfield's dream, which is that he wants to be a dog. And so Irwin agrees, and since he's a dog, Garfield gets to chase cats like Irwin. They run past John at one point, who... This is the part that I was alluding to earlier where Garfield is barking, but it's like his mouth isn't moving. It's like thought barks. Right. right. And so and Lorenzo music barks too. bark, 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 bark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so when they run past John and John is like kind of perplexed by the idea that, you know, I, the joke is he's chasing this mouse barking, but John can't actually so. hear him bark. Oh, you think it's just a surprise? He doesn't normally chase mice. Well, he's yeah, a bad but then he, mouser. Well, yeah, but then he looks in his food and he's like, I got to look at what's in this food I'm feeding him. Like, he seems mm. like it's something that's gone wrong, right? I don't know. Well, something that's gone really right? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Irwin runs into an alley where he is cornered and he tries to convince Garfield that he's a cat, not a dog, and even goes so far as to renounce being a cat himself to settle the issue. Which works out fine, since Garfield doesn't chase mice, even as a cat. And I think that's pretty clever. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's cute, yeah. Yeah. And to see us out, Garfield shoots down Floyd's request to be on the show every week. Which would turn out to be like another five episodes or something. Yeah, that's his last appearance. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I like this. I like that Garfield's clever. Yeah. Um, now, at the beginning, when there are two mice are walking and talking, I can't tell if Irwin is supposed to be like Woody Allen. <laughs> or or maybe he's like George Carlin, you know? And the other great thing about cats. I don't know. I think he's supposed to be Arnold Stang. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, um, I think these Garfield plots do well when they're simple like this. Mm, yeah. Wow. Yeah, like the amount of time that I spent explaining that Binky cartoon. Oh, yeah. Compared to the amount of time that you spent explaining the Castaway cartoon. Right. Or the mini mall. You sure. know, it's long. Yeah. It's really complex. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of short, though, we got a Garfield quickie, right? I believe. Uh, I don't think maybe I missed it. What was it? <laughs> I don't recall. It's in the garbage now. <laughs> <laughs> there may or may not have been a Garfield quickie here. It could be my messed up notes. I think maybe there was no quickies in this last episode, actually. Yeah, maybe. At any rate. Um. There actually was a Garfield quickie here. Uh, Garfield is chasing Odie around the house. Odie jumps into a mouse hole to escape. Garfield slams into the wall. And Garfield looks around for Odie. And Odie's tongue comes out of the mouse hole and licks him. We'll get to the good stuff. It's the Old Man of the Mountain. A uh, U.S. Acres cartoon or Orson's Farm. Whatever you call it. So a panicked Wade runs to Orson to warn him that the cow is giving milk. The pig corrects the fearful duck that that is how it should be. 
Orson states that he feels like the wise old man in the mountain in the book that he's reading, because others come to him for advice all the time. So Wade walks off, and he counts his blessings as he returns to the barn, but he finds Orson's big brother Gort living there. The brute declares that he won't live in the mud any longer, and he kicks Wade out. Wade panics, but, not wanting to trouble Orson again, he decides to climb a mountain in search of a wise man. It turns out there is a mountain, and on top of it there's a duck sage with a robe and cane. His advice isn't free, however. Wade forks over cash for the wisdom. He gets some maxims and platitudes, but lastly, just instruction to roar to appear ferocious. And the context of that earlier episode is hitting me again. Did this old man and even the mountain exist before they were created by Orson's imagination? Hmm. Well, I mean, let's not give away the ending of this cartoon. Okay, okay. So, Gort is not impressed by Wade's growling, and he knocks him through the wall of the barn. Wade climbs the mountain again and pays more money for better advice. After empty jargon, the mountain duck tells Wade to buzz like a bee. This neither works on Gort, who squishes a bucket onto the schlubby duck. Wade climbs a third time to pay the big fee for excellent advice. The sage tells him just to move somewhere else. Then the useless wise man, flush with cash, gives up his job, leaving behind his robe, cane, and fake beard. Just then, a weary dog ascends the mountain in order to speak with the wise man. Wade puts the outfit uh, on the outfit in order to take over the racket of worthless advice. <laughs> um, I guess that's okay. He, he'll get his money back anyway. Yeah. He, he still can't get back into the barn. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe he pays Gord off or something. <laughs> well, you know, it's just one of those cartoons that has an undefined ending, but some stuff happened. Yeah, it's simple. It's not great. I don't think that his attempts, he should have gotten funnier things to do against Gort, but. Yeah, eh. true. Yeah. I don't know. Limited time. And and also, right, right. like I said earlier, Wade laughing is always, or uh, speaking, I should say, Wade speaking is always funny. The oh, right, buzz, right. And I, <laughs> you alluded earlier. Uh, who was it? You said that was the, it was the, the mouse was the, uh, the honeybee for Cheerios, right? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, the voice for Wade is one of the Hamburglers. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll group those together, I guess. Great. Now, why don't we go on to what I think is the best episode of the ones that we had to look at? Well, it's definitely the one that we were both looking forward to the most. <laughs> yes. As soon as you said who was in it last week, it was, oh, man. This episode is called Food Fighter. Mm -hmm. The premise is that Garfield eats so much that John needs to get a part-time job to pay the food bills. He finds a listing in the want ads for a part-time personal chef, which John is sure he can do based on his massive experience preparing food for a gluttonous cat. It turns out the job is preparing food for the heavyweight boxing champion of the world, George Fisticuff, 
who is voiced <laughs> by, I believe at this point, the actual boxing heavyweight champion of the world, George Foreman, known grill salesman. <laughs> yeah. The starstruck John begs for the job and is hired on the spot when George's manager sees the state of John's cat. And now the entire premise is thrown out the window when George's manager (laughs) insists that George is at his perfect fighting weight and can't eat anything until after the fight tonight against Crusher Krellman. Maybe hire this chef after tonight, I guess. (laughs) Well, I mean, they put the ad in the paper. They had no way of knowing when somebody would show up to. Uh, I guess. But at the same time, though, it is ridiculous. Like. You know, tell him he can start tomorrow or something. <laughs> yeah, or don't hire him because his cat is really fat. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, George, George is hungry. But when Krellman actually shows up to taunt him, George decides that his manager is right. He instructs his chef, John, not to let him eat anything, no matter what. So this sets up a series of gags where... You know, George gets hungry and he wants John to make him a sandwich. But then John makes him a sandwich and he knocks it away and says, didn't you hear me say I didn't want you to make me any food? And then Mm. Garfield is Garfield's trying to get rid of all the fattening foods by preparing it and eating it himself. Mm -hmm. Starting with a bunch of microwave pizzas, which, again, George wants, but then gets angry when he gets them. And the pinnacle is when um, Garfield prepares some delicious ribs and John. uh, Oh my God. There's so many G and J names in this. (laughs) I was going to joke that George Foreman is testing his acting range by playing a boxer named George. (laughs) And I I wondered if he tried to make them change every other character to be named George. in the thing. (laughs) If if you don't know, all of George Foreman's children are named George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that is uh, mentioned in the episode of King of the Hill where he appears. Oh, okay. Yeah. He he calls one of his sons. He's like, George three, get this guy out of here. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway. So Garfield made these delicious ribs and George just gorged himself into an overweight, sleepy slob. He is now in no shape to box. But Garfield has a solution. He and John prepare the same meal of ribs and slaw and bread and all kinds of things and deliver it to Crusher Krellman. And Krellman can't resist because it smells so good. And by the time of the fight, both (laughs) competitors are so fat and sleepy that they can't get up and box. And Garfield says, hey, my ribs always were a knockout. And that's the end. That's an amusing resolution to this. And (laughs) there's a lot of things I like here. Uh-huh. Uh, you talk about Krellman eating. Doesn't he stick his face down into the food on the floor? Oh, yeah. He gets down on his hands and knees and just like tips the bowl into his mouth. Like, oh, where's the slaw? Oh, there's the slaw. <laughs> uh, okay. There's another logical problem with this. I mean, obviously they shouldn't gorge before a fight. Yeah. But boxers really have to worry about their weight before the weigh-in. And then they can actually eat a little more before the fight. So... Uh, maybe too complex an idea for a I, I would also think that just not eating for like 24 hours before a boxing match is is not going to get you the healthiest either. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was before, have, if I had to do something strenuous like that when, on an empty stomach, if Crusher Krellman punched me in the stomach, I would just fall down dry heaving. Mm-hmm, mm. I mean, I probably would anyway, because I'm a 
fat slob myself, but like, (laughs) (laughs) there's actually some good boxing cartoons out there. And it's like, it's like the real enemy. Mm. You, you have the enemies in the other corner, but the real enemy is cutting weight for the weigh in. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can't even, you can't even drink hardly anything. There's, Um, there's an episode of Kenny versus Spenny. Mm-hmm. Which is a Canadian show about these two roommates who give each other challenges, like who can do whatever better or who can't do whatever the longest. And there was one episode where it was who could lose the most weight. And oh. Spenny actually, Spenny? Yeah, Spenny. He went to a <laughs> a boxing yeah. trainer to learn how boxers cut weight. And he actually had a spit bucket so that he wouldn't yeah. swallow his own saliva. It's that, <laughs> it's that like, you know... It's, it's that it's that demanding. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a great anime called uh, Hajime no Ippo. I remember one bit. There's a uh, the heavyweight fighter is uh, trying to cut weight, and they give him dehydrated mushrooms to suck on, so at least <laughs> has the feeling that he's getting food. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just got like wrinkled, uh, chapped lips. <laughs> sucking on this mushroom. And he ends up spitting it out, like, slightly more constituted than when it went in. Right, but, right. <laughs> oh, uh, getting back to this cartoon. Yeah. There's another thing. You talk about the relationship of non-speaking Garfield to this world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I lo- Yeah, you like this line? Yeah. I think my cat has an idea. Yeah. But I also <laughs> like that the manager is like, I'll try anything. Because, right, you know, right. on the face, you'd be like, shut up. You stupid right. nerd who fattened my fighter. And, well, yeah. In the earlier cartoon, there was a the judge says like, "Hmm, oh, this cat seems to be handing me something." Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty wacky. Yeah, but, everyone goes along you know, with Garfield's presence, but at the same time, they like, yeah, you know, it's not well. There's a certain amount of realism, at least as far as his communication. Sure, and you know he he walks on two legs a lot. Um, sometimes he puts on costumes. So in this world, animals are, they don't speak, but they get like half of the way there, I guess, to being sentient beings. (laughs) Um, anyway, I think this is good. I, I like it. Again, it's a simple premise and it's got a funny joke. It's all right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's dumb. Like the idea that, you know, they would hire a chef. To not yes. cook food, but I like I like the way that they drew George Fisticuff. He kind of this is like if George Foreman. I, I think the character designs in a lot of these shows aren't exactly Jim Davis like. They're no. like cartoon like. Um, yeah. And to some extent, I feel like this might be sort of what George Foreman might look like if they put him in a Garfield comic strip. But at the same mm. time, it's so like simple. You know what yeah. it reminded me of is this he. He looks like a character in a cartoon in an 80s episode of Sesame Street. Hmm. Or or in an 80s candy ad. Like, George Fistigaf should be knocking out the Tootsie Pop Owl. You know what? Okay, let's, let's rate this episode and we'll talk a little more about the look of the show. Okay. I'm giving this one, you know, I like this episode overall. I'm giving it zero Klopman diamonds out of five. Ooh. Yeah. Zero Klopman diamonds. Totally uncursed. Yeah, yeah. For me. Um, I kind of agree to some extent. Like, I liked I liked the first little bit with the mouse. I thought that was pretty funny. 
Uh, yes. The Orson's Farm one sort of bored me a little bit, but at the same time, Wade, it had a lot of Wade talking and I like Wade talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> this last one is just so ridiculous. Yes. There's something intrinsically funny about a lout who wants to hurt somebody who's trying to please him. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think you might be right about this. I think it might be a one, yeah. a one Klopman episode. Okay. Well, I want zero, but yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I, there were certain parts of it that I was like, eh, but still okay. pretty good. Yeah. I think what I found in both this and the, uh, well, actually, but this and the Rescue Rangers is that they're a little better than I think mm-hmm. if we take random samples. Yeah. I mean, the things I think about them aren't untrue, but, you know, with control, I don't have to watch the Binky episodes. You know? I was going to say, yeah, like if you're just, okay, now let's watch the entire second season of Garfield and Friends. And there's like, you know, 15 episodes and seven of them have Binky in it. And I think also... It's how there's a thin line between love and hate mm. because I literally grew up with Garfield. Like, the, like it went syndication in 78, like a year after my birth. Right. So I love Garfield. Uh, I didn't have money very often, you know, like maybe people would buy things for me, but like actual money in my pocket. I spent the money out of my pocket to buy one of those Garfield collections. Sure. And it was the one that had the step-by-step how to draw Garfield in the beginning of it. Oh, yeah, I was, you know, I practiced that and I just loved it. And I watched the specials. So by the time that I, you know, that this cartoon had thrown all this hacky, terrible comedy at me, <laughs> it just flipped the switch right to where I hated it. And, you know, as an 11, 12, 13 year old and having a little more options on TV or maybe even real life. I would not watch. Oh, and Garfield expanded to an hour long as well. They huh. showed one of the new ones and and one of the old ones. And yeah, I skipped them. Mm. I will say I have very little memory of the later episodes. Probably because you skipped them. Yeah, yeah. At some point, I just, you know, eh, I have better things to do um, with my Saturdays. You were saying about the show looking kind of like, you know, Tootsie Roll and all that. Mm. I thought it was kind of fun that... I think overall the show looks pretty good. The animation quality, character models, they look good. For the most um, part, yeah. The backgrounds, I thought it was kind of fun to see like the fine liner felts to the uh, background details. And this, I, it's not really true to the comic. When I think of a Garfield background, most of the time I think of a countertop mm-hmm. and then a uh, diagonal shadow across the wall. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this, there's a lot of like crooked lines in the background. So it looks like like a Maurice Noble background from Looney Tunes, you know, mm. like like some of the Chuck Jones stuff I've given you. Right. Um, or like Rocky and Bowinkle. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. It's it's an interesting looking thing. Um, hmm. What else can we talk about? There's not, well, there's not a lot to talk about with the voice cast. It's like Lorenzo Music. No. And then, like, Tom Huge is pretty much everyone else, except for the occasional mm. Frank Welker. Oh, yes. Um, I'll say uh, producers, Lee Mendelson and Bill Melendez, brought their experience from adapting Peanuts into cartoons. <laughs> um, and then this was interesting, I thought. Mark Avanier, yep. uh, he's one of the principal writers of the show. Yeah. He wrote the dialogue. You know the comic Grew the Wanderer? Oh, kind of. 
Yeah, he wrote the dialogue for that. It's huh. a weird process, weird process that Sergio um, Aragones, or however you say his name, that he draws and writes the comic, but he doesn't write the words for the comic. He just draws like all the panels, and then he would rely on Evanier to <laughs> write in the, the words. Um, Man, that's weird. But he didn't actually write in the words. This is the second point of trivia, not so much Garfield, but for Gru. <laughs> Stan Sakai of Usagi Ojimbo did the lettering for Gru. Oh, weird. Isn't it? And when you look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, duh. Of hmm. course. It's a distinctive, uh, distinctive Stan, Stan hmm. Sakai lettering. But hmm. Uh, hmm. yeah. So Garfield and Friends. I guess at some point we're going to watch some newer iteration of Garfield. Oh, boy. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. That's got me curious a little bit. Yeah. OK. If you're curious, we'll do it sometime. Maybe well, we'll do it in a yeah. future episode of what we're going to do next week. Oh, yes. An immediate callback. Okay, so this is what we're doing here. We're going to each recommend an episode of a show, but the theme is that it's going to call back to a previous episode, whether it's plot that builds on something or it's just like the same kind of thing. Say, if we had a prior episode with uh, Dickie Moe, right? That maybe we have, maybe we found something else that features uh, a Moby Dick parody, yeah. that kind of thing. Right. So, Matsy, yeah, for you, I would like you to watch an episode of Gummy Bears. Oh, really? That calls yep. back very specifically. Ah, but maybe in interesting ways. So it includes the half episodes, too many cooks, and just a tad smarter. Hmm. And what's that calling back to? Oh, should we wait? Uh, well, let's, let's wait and you'll oh, we'll have a look. And okay. 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 It'll be fun to discover what the... Okay. Yeah. Well, then I guess mine might be a little bit more obvious. Maybe. All right. I want you to watch an episode of Donkey Kong Country. Okay. Uh, the specific episode is called, <laughs> rather uncreatively... It's a Wonderful Life. Hmm. Can't wait for them songs. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is, folks. Next week, we'll be looking at Gummy Bears and Hey-Yo, Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> oh, man. So until then, let us know what you think of the show and uh, what do you want us to watch. Hey, you know what? Actually, I got a real fake tweet ah. just the other day. This one is from Rodeo Peepaw. <laughs> it goes, at Drab Swatch, I always listen to the podcast twice. The second time, I listen backwards for instructions from Lord Lucifer. I nearly have enough poison gas for the plan. Hashtag hell on earth. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I think this might be one for the cops. Yeah, we need to get sick those potatoes on this guy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you can send all your diabolic tweets to me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. Send diabolic tweets telling everybody else about our show. Uh, I don't know their usernames. Mine's AC Matsy, if you have anything you want to tell me. And now, from the... <laughs> From the muck of Garfield and Friends, which actually wasn't all that mucky, here's our Celery Stalker slogan. 
Uh, champ, you're not supposed to be eating ribs like that. You're right. I need potato salad and beans and coleslaw and bread and butter and maybe a couple of chickens and... 